Good evening, Newark. It's good to be back with you tonight, another Sunday, to enjoy God's Word together. I'm so thankful that we have this opportunity that even though we can't be together physically, we can still study God's Word and learn and grow and hear His voice speaking to us together as a body. This theme, Lies Christians Believe, is phenomenal. There's so much we can learn together, which is which is the what we're going to talk to about tonight is together. And when we come together and we learn about things that misconceptions we have, what we are calling lies Christians believe, it helps ground us firmly in the word of God, but it also helps bind us together. So let's pray together as we begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we can come together. And we can study your word and we can learn and you, we can hear your voice speaking to us together as a group. Thank you for scripture. Thank you that we can depend on you, that we can hear your voice and we can learn and grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, the topic is lies Christians believe. And the lie is, I can do this alone. Or you could, you could change it to, I have to do this alone, or, or I'm supposed to do this alone. So we're going to jump right in, and we're going to start by looking at two people. Two people that started their journey with that mentality, alone. But both ended up in two very different places with different results. So let's get started. In Luke chapter 19, verse 1. I'm reading out of the, the Net Bible. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. Now a man named Zacchaeus was there. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to get a look at Jesus, but being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, because I must stay at your house today. So he came down quickly and welcomed Jesus joyfully. And when the people saw it, they all complained, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, half of my possessions I now give to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone of anything, I am paying back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household, because he too is a son of Abraham. Let's dig into this story just a little bit. It says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. That tells us a lot when it comes to the historical era that we're speaking of. Zacchaeus, many times, uh, the Roman Empire and the, the they would conscript or hire uh, people of a community to be the tax collectors. They didn't, they didn't send in a, a Roman or someone um, from you know, high up in the government. They, they would conscript someone that was in that community. So Zacchaeus was in that community. He was one of them and became a chief tax collector. The way they made their money was they collected taxes and then whatever they took over, what you really owed, was how they got paid. And it 
very clearly says that Zacchaeus was wealthy. He was rich, which meant, which means he took a lot off the top. He was not liked. He was not loved. He probably didn't have any friends in the community or people to hang out with. Zacchaeus was starting off in a place of, of separation. He was very different. He was unliked. And when he climbs up in this tree to see, he didn't ask anyone around him for help. That's a key there. He, he didn't ask anyone for help. There probably wasn't people in that crowd that wanted to help Zacchaeus. So he took the initiative. He climbed that tree alone to watch for Jesus. And when Jesus came up to him and said, come down uh, quickly because I must stay at your house today. That's a collective I, kind of like the collective we. Uh, it's a collective I. Jesus didn't travel alone. He had a group with him. So when he said, I am coming to your house, he said, we are coming to your house. So immediately Zacchaeus is welcomed in, asked and pulled into this group and asked to join them. And Jesus wants to spend time with him. Jesus is giving Zacchaeus an opportunity to personally develop a relationship with him. And Zacchaeus jumps on it. Zacchaeus could have, have done many things but he immediately chose to be accountable to God, to Jesus. To, and not only to Jesus, but to those around him. We'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Next, we're going to read about our second man. We're going to read in Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5. Then one of the twelve, the one named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me to betray him into your hands? So they set out 30 silver, silver coins for him. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray him. That was, I apologize. That was Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Now we're going to read 27, 3 through 5. Now when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus had been condemned, he regretted what he had done and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? You take care of it yourself. So Judas threw the silver coins into the temple and left. Then he went out and hanged himself. This is a horrible story. It's a horrible situation. And we can ask the question, how did Judas find himself here? in this place? How did he find him in this place? After traveling for three years with Jesus, he was one of the disciples, the original 12. How did he find himself in this place? He had a, a very personal community, a very personal relationship with Jesus. And yet he ended up going alone to the high priest and betraying Jesus. And then when it was over, again, very alone, we see we see this this aspect of Judas doing things and trying to make it alone. But this isn't where Judas's story begins of this, I can do it alone, or I need to try and do this alone. Let's read back to John chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. And this really isn't even the beginning, but this is where we originally are giving a look, giving a look into where Judas is. Then Mary took three quarters of a pound of expensive aromatic oil from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. She then wiped his feet dry with her hair. 
Now the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfumed oil. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was going to betray him, said, Why wasn't this oil sold for 300 silver coins and the money given to the poor? Now Judas said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money box, he used to steal what was put into it. So this window into Judas's life is given. That Judas is a thief. Judas is struggling with stealing. Now at this point, we don't know if he's struggling or just completely given into it. But Judas has a secret. And Judas is carrying the secret. He walks every day beside Jesus. He sees the miracles. He sees the life that is being lived before him. He sees that here's the, the instructions, the stories, the interpretation of the scripture. And yet this secret is inside of him. This sin. Judas was struggling with sin. He walked every day with the one that could deliver him. He walked every day with the one that could help him overcome that sin. But we have no record in scripture of him reaching out to Jesus. We have no record of him reaching out to the other disciples for help or accountability. This scripture shows us in the situation with Mary that Judas had begun to harbor ill feelings towards Jesus. He was, he was upset that Jesus would allow someone to spend that kind of money on him. Not because he was concerned about the poor, but because his greed and this sin inside of him had begun to consume him. I quote Dr. Joy Payton when I say, the things we hide or ignore will eventually control us. Judas fell into the trap of trying to walk with Jesus alone. He fell into this trap of trying to be a disciple of Jesus. He was, yeah, he was surrounded by the other disciples and he was with Jesus. Yet he had this secret. He had this sin. He was, I, I cannot imagine that he wouldn't feel conviction. He, he wouldn't be fighting and warring with this sin inside of him, this thing that is, that is beginning to consume him. When the help that he has is right there, the community he needs is right there, but he doesn't speak of it. He, maybe he felt he couldn't be vulnerable. Maybe he was afraid. I don't, I don't know what went on inside of Judas, but I do know that it is the, the joy of the enemy of our soul to convince us that we have to do this alone, that we need to live for Jesus alone, that, that we can't be honest with people. We can't share the truth with people. That is, that, that is his delight in that he can convince us to walk, to know Jesus, but to walk alone. Judas had spent time with the disciples and had a relationship with them and with Jesus. But he kept himself separated by his secret life of a thief. All of us have things in our lives. It may not be a sin, but there may be a struggle, something we have. That if we allow it to, it will separate us from the rest of the body. We will feel alone in a room full of people because of something we are convinced of. 
Judas was trying to be a disciple alone. Nobody was forcing him to follow Jesus. That's what's amazing. No one made Jesus follow Jesus. Jesus invited him to be one of his followers, his disciples. No one was twisting Judas's arm and saying, you have to travel with Jesus. You have to be his disciple. Judas wanted to be there. Many times we find we want to be a part of the church. We want to be a part of this community. We want to have friends. We want to have fellowship. We want to follow Jesus. But there's something that we just can't allow ourselves to truly connect. There's that something that holds us back. Maybe it's our own um, insecurities. Maybe we're afraid to be vulnerable. Maybe we we feel like we're just not we're not good enough. Or there's something in our life that we have been convinced of. Maybe they're going to hurt me if I let them too close. Or they'll find out this real part of me, this thing. And we, we allow ourselves, just like Judas allowed himself, to walk with the King of Kings, but he had to be, he had a separate part of himself. He refused to be open and to, to be accountable and to get help. He began this, this secret in Judas's life began to mess with his, his thoughts. And that's what it does. Our thinking gets skewed. It gets off. They don't want to be with you. Nobody calls you. Nobody checks on you. If they really knew that about you, they would never let you be apart. Everybody else is better than you. Everybody else has got this down. They don't have any sin. These are the lies and the whispers that the enemy will whisper to you to try and get you to say, well, I'm going to have to do this alone. These thoughts eventually blinded Judas to truth and caused him to make a horrible, horrible decision. Let's go back to Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus climbed that tree, he was living in sin. Everybody knew about it. It wasn't a secret sin. Everybody knew what Zacchaeus was doing. It was horrible. People hated him. And when Jesus came into his life, Zacchaeus could have been like, oh, look at me. Jesus is coming to my house. I'm somebody. Ha ha. Look at me. You rejected me because of, because of my job. Things that I have to do. I don't have a choice. You rejected me, but Jesus is coming to my house, not yours. Ha ha. Zacchaeus could have tried to develop a relationship with God and still hold on to the life that he had. But he didn't. He admitted his sin. He admitted his issues. He admitted what he had done. Everybody knew what job he... He didn't say, I'm going to quit being a tax collector. He said, I'm going to stop cheating people. See? He didn't try to, to hide the cheating and say, well, I, I have to do this. It's, it's the rules. It's the government structure. No. He admitted what he had done, and he immediately began changing when Jesus came into his life. He had, he had like we said, probably been ostracized and spent much time alone. He could have continued to try to do the right thing alone. He could have said, you know, I'm going to do this. Once Jesus is gone, I'm going, to, I'm going to get right. I'm going to give these things back to people. But he admitted his wrong to Jesus and the others that were there. He was making himself accountable. Not only did he plan to do it, he said he was going to do it in front of others to help himself be accountable. Let's go back to Judas. We've established that Judas was in a bad place. He was alone. 
He had separated himself and he made a horrible decision. But it wasn't over for Judas. But when we begin to feel alone and have a mentality of, I have to do this alone, it, it, as we said, it, it controls, can control our thinking to where, where when we really need someone, we won't even reach out because, because our thinking is, oh, well, I have to do this alone. I'm, I'm alone in this. I, I can't trust anybody. It's, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. We're going to do this. But Judas, even after he realized when his, his vision cleared and he realized, what have I done? He doesn't reach out for help. There's people, men, he has lived with for three years. He has close relationship with. He's in relationship, as close as he's allowed himself to be. He doesn't reach out to any of them. Jesus is still alive. He doesn't try to get to Jesus to apologize. He had developed a mentality of aloneness. He couldn't, I don't think he could find a way to reach out. He had pulled back. It had become his natural reflex to pull back, keep secrets. It's just me. These are my feelings. These are my struggles. I got to get past these on my own. He developed that mentality so much and was separated in his mind. He didn't even try to ask Jesus for forgiveness. This is, this is the man he had heard teach about forgiveness to others 70 times. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Jesus had taught, he had forgiven. He had watched Jesus extend forgiveness to people that no one would extend forgiveness to. And yet, he didn't ask for forgiveness for himself. In trying to take care of it on his own, Judas lost hope. There was no one to help him see that forgiveness was for him. There was no one around. You see, the enemy wants you and I to try and do this alone. I'm going to live for God alone. I've got this. Me and Jesus, we've got this. He wants you to do that. Because then he can convince you and I we're really alone. So if he can convince you you need to do it alone, then he's going to try to convince you you really are alone. Nobody's there for you. Everybody else is in community and they're part of the body of Christ, but you know, you just don't fit. If he can convince us we're alone, then he will try to convince you and I that we have no hope and that even your Savior does not care for you. I'm going to take a minute right now and let Joyce share a little bit of her testimony with us. I was invited tonight to tell a little portion of my testimony for tonight's broadcast. If you think that you can do this alone as a Christian, then I really do beg you to reconsider. And I'll tell you why. So this is a little little snippet of my story. I grew up in church, but I can't say that I was very well educated in the Bible. Um, I knew I wanted to be saved and I wanted the Holy Ghost. And when I really got serious about God and reaching out to him, building a relationship with him, I was met with a whole bunch of resistance. And it wasn't even from the outside. It was internal. My thoughts changed and not in a good way at all. Thoughts that were not mine, thoughts that I had never thought before in my life. And I was ashamed and I became paralyzed with fear. I couldn't, I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't even believe that God would forgive me for these. So although I knew that there was a light at the end of the tunnel, 
in my thinking, that light wasn't for me. You know, God could save everyone, but not me. And unfortunately, I did fall prey to these lies. I really believed it. I was being bombarded um, when things really came to a head. I remember casually walking to my window one day for no apparent reason. And I looked down. We were three flights up. And I heard jump. It was very clear, very distinct. And thank God, because of that, I knew that that was not my voice. My thoughts, are, my thoughts do not sound like that. And I don't care how low I've been, I was never suicidal. So I knew instantly, okay, that's the devil. It's like a light bulb went off and you know he had tipped his hand. Thank God, though, because there was now hope. There was now a reason, you know, not just some crazy, you know, situation where I'm the one person who's condemned, you know, and Jesus didn't die for me or couldn't redeem me. So for anyone who who thinks that they can walk alone, please know you really need the body of Christ. We need to be transparent. We need to share our experiences, our testimonies. There's freedom in that. I can attest to that. So I'm so grateful to those who have been truthful with me, transparent with me, you know, who have listened to me, cried with me, (laughs) prayed with me. We need each other. So we can impact other people just by telling the truth and telling parts of our story even if we can't tell the whole story you know hopefully one day we can but you never know who you could be helping that's a fact what a powerful testimony joyce experienced this lie joyce experienced the enemy trying to tell her you have to do this alone you are alone and tried to rob her of her hope. But thankfully, the spirit of Jesus, of our savior that lives inside of us, the Holy Spirit can speak to us and help us fight back against those voices. I just wanna read scripture to you. Um, We're gonna start, and I'm gonna read pretty quick in Luke chapter nine. After Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He sent them out. He didn't single one out. He sent them out. Let's go on to Matthew chapter 2. Now when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, At the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. Right away you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. He sent two disciples. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Again, we see the minimum two by two. Mark chapter 14, he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Jesus sent two. Let's look at Luke chapter 7. 
John's disciples informed him about all these things. So John called two of his disciples and sent them to Jesus. Two. He sent two. No one, we see no one going along. No one traveling along. No one ministering along. Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Two by two. We see the minimum going out is two by two. We don't see anybody alone here. Jesus didn't travel alone himself. He did go in the wilderness to pray alone, but that was, that was a different circumstance. And we can pray alone in our, in our prayer closet or in our time with the Lord. Acts chapter 13, while they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted and prayed and placed their hands on them, they sent them off. So Barnabas and Saul, sent out by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The Holy Spirit pulled out two to go, two to travel and spread the gospel. Acts 9, because Lydda was near Joppa, when the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him and urged him, come to us without delay. Again, we see two. Saul got up from the ground in Acts chapter 9. But although his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, his companions brought him to Damascus. Paul had companions even before he was filled with the Spirit. When he was fighting against, people didn't trap against the Christians. People didn't travel by themselves back then. This idea, this Western concept of alone, I have to do this alone, is not a biblical concept. It is not in scripture. It wasn't safe to travel alone. It's not safe most of the time for us to travel alone. We don't need to think of ourselves as an island unto myself. It's me. We are not an individual. We are born into the body of Christ. Let's read Acts chapter 13. Then Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Again, we see Paul and his companions. And when John leaves, he goes to another group in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 19, the city was filled with the uproar and the crowds rushed to the theater together, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus and the Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. The apostle Paul did not go alone. Romans chapter 12, let's talk, let's read a little bit about what scripture says about us as the church. For just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members who belong to one another. I belong to you, and you belong to me. We are not to do this alone. We are not to judge one another. We are to love one another and to walk this life together. We are to journey together in this journey with Jesus. It is not meant to be alone. We are not to fear one another. We are to love one another and become partners and part of the same body in this walk with Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for just as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so too is Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. 
For in fact, the body is not a single member, but many. The body of Christ isn't me and Jesus. It's many. And we are to be connected. We are to be joined together, not walking this road alone. God has, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God has blended together the body, giving greater honor to the lesser member, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have mutual concern for one another. If one member suffers, everyone suffers with it. If a member is honored, all rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and each of you is a member of it. If you suffer, I hurt with you. If you are honored or rejoice, I am honored with you and rejoice with you. If you fail, I hurt with you. I don't walk on top of you. I reach, reach to you. We help each other. If one blind person walks along and falls in a ditch, who's going to help him out? You need someone with you. There are times we are blinded. There are times we're confused. There are times we are hurt. There are times that we have sinned and we have fallen and excuse our vision and we can fall off the road. We can fall and we have to have someone there with us to help us. Are they, is that person perfect? Is the body of Christ perfect? No. Will we offend one another? Will we hurt one another? Yes, scripture speaks to this. That we must love and forgive one another, making room for their faults. No one is intentionally, we're not intentionally trying to hurt each other. We're not intentionally trying to offend each other, but it happens. And when it happens, we recognize part of not doing this alone is that I got to have a little room for my brother or sister here that gets on my nerves or has hurt me or has offended me. And they will do the same for me because we're in a body and we're moving. Sometimes when I'm running, I whack myself in the head or I kick my ankle. I hate that. I hate it when I'm running and one of my feet slams into the other and bruises my ankle. But I definitely don't cut that foot off because it hurt me. We are a part of the body of Christ. We hurt together. We bleed together. We pray together. We rejoice together. We play together. We serve together. We love together. We worship together. The theme here is together. The lie is that you need to do it alone. That is a lie. Just like when they're, when the, um, an animal is hunting and a lion or a jaguar, or an animal is hunting, it looks for the one that's not together with the pack, kind of, kind of straggling along and they attack that one. The enemy wants to pull us, separate us and pull us off and convince us that we're alone and we need to be alone. We have to be alone because nobody can love me the way that I am. But Jesus did and he put his love in us. So that we can love one another with his love, not with human love, not with our judgmental love, not with our, our love with strings attached, but with the love of Christ dwelling in each of us. I want to read a short passage, a little devotion that, that Justin Palmer, one of our developing leaders, wrote along this topic. He said, when I am faced with trials or difficult situations, I... I I sometimes believe that I can do them alone because I have faith. Now, yes, it is good to have faith and believe in my faith with God, but sometimes I realize God wants us to reach out and talk to someone. If we can reach out to our fellow brother or sister and tell them about our situation, ask for prayer, for support or help, it's good. 
James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There are times when we feel like we need to or have to do this on our own. So we tell ourselves, I got this. My walk with God is good and I'm a believer. But there are times when God wants us to reach out to others and ask for prayer and help. God wants us to walk together. This is hard as a Christian because it, it might make us think that we do not have enough faith or, or maybe our walk is not, we're not doing things right or I shouldn't have to ask for help. It's my problem. It's my issue. We cannot believe those lies because they may be stopping us from being healed or delivered from something. Maybe God wants us to ask so that we will grow. Asking for help or prayer can make us vulnerable. So we resist it because it feels uncomfortable. Matthew 18 says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. This scripture has a, has a lot to it. There's a lot in the context. But no matter what, what the context is of this scripture, there are truths that come forth that say two or three. More than one. You're not alone. We're not to do things alone. This, this scripture's context is talking about church discipline and church structure. But even in the, the, even the practical things in life, we are not to do it alone. I know personally that I, I don't usually ask for prayer or help. Many times I do feel like I can do it on my own or just with God. But God calls his body and a body must work together. If the foot is hurting but does not tell the rest of the body where it's hurting or, or how it's hurting or communicate that to the brain, will the body be able to help, help the foot? It's good to know we're not alone. It's good to know there are people who will pray with us, who will help us, and who will walk with us through our circumstances. We as Christians must understand that God put people on earth to help his body, to be a part of his body. We are made up the body of Christ. We just need to accept help. Who knows, maybe us asking for help will in turn help someone else who is afraid or usually doesn't ask for help. James 5.14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. This is a powerful concept. It is simple. Together, not alone. When those voices come, when those whispers come, when you're like, well, that's not, just not my personality to share. Take a step of faith. Step out. Develop those relationships. Join the community. You join the community up here. Because that's where we're alone. Many of us are experiencing this right now. We're in a time where we're separated. We, we can't come together physically as a body. We've come together in small groups online. We've come together in services and right now online. But it, it weighs on us. But when we do come back together physically as a community, ask yourself, am I alone sitting in a room full of my church family? Also ask yourself, is someone else here feeling alone? 
We have to reach out to one another. But it's not just our responsibility to reach out to help others. It's our responsibility to reach out to connect. Judas had every opportunity to get accountability, to get help, to reach out, to connect, to be vulnerable, and he chose not to. It is our choice to connect or disconnect from the body of Christ. You have a place in the body of Christ. I have a place in the body of Christ. We are joined together. Some of us have personalities that we have to work to join and connect. We have to overcome some things up here. Others of us are outgoing and we seem fun and it seems like, like they're always have lots of friends, but you don't know what's going on up here. I think of Robin Williams, an actor, a comedian. People felt so close to him. They felt like they were his friend, that he was always happy. He always had something funny and quirky to say. He committed suicide. He struggled horribly with depression. He didn't know how to reach out. He did have some help. He saw some doctors. But everyone assumed because of the smile on his face and the laughter that he felt connected. We all need to ask ourselves, am I connected? Am I together with the body of Christ? Don't wait for someone to reach out for you. Take a step. Decide it here. I am a part of the body of Christ. I will be a part. I won't hang back. I won't be reserved. Take little steps but take steps forward because we are his and he is ours and we belong to one another. We are a community. We are a family. We are one body in Christ. And it is a lie that you are supposed to do this alone. Anytime you hear that, anytime you feel that way, you can respond, no, we are supposed to do this together. And I am a part of the kingdom of God and something much greater than I could ever be a part of alone. Let's just take a minute and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and our minds and help us if we find ourselves in a place of feeling alone. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have made us a part of your body that you have forgiven us of our sins and washed them away in baptism, that we are filled with your spirit and your power, and that we are a part of your body. But sometimes, Lord, up, up in our minds and our thinking, we can feel separated. We can feel pulled apart. We don't feel like we are a part of the body. Those lies begin to speak to us. And God, help us to step out and to make the decision in our mind and begin doing things to be a part, to make sure that we are actively a part of the body of Christ. And that when we feel alone, we will share it with you, but we will share it with others. We will tell somebody else that we feel alone, tell someone else we're struggling, that we are hurting and let them join with us in relationship and in prayer and in time spent together in community. Help us, Lord, to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with others. Thank you, Lord, that this season will pass. This time where we are separated from many will pass. 
and that we can walk together physically and also daily in our prayers and in our, our time over media, on phones, technology, that we can stay connected in more ways than just one. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your word. Help us to be like Zacchaeus. Don't let us fall into the trap of Judas, Lord, and be alone and be convinced we are alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming together, for being together. Remember, share our videos out on Facebook. Take, take a minute, if you know someone, not just this message, but many messages that are out. If you think, share it out to people. People are feeling alone. Connect with people. Let them know you're thinking about them and that you care. I love you. Hope you have a great evening. Good night.